Throughout the ages, the Church has recognized many special heroes of our Catholic faith. These holy men and women weren't just outstanding people of their time. They're models of holiness for our time. And each week at this time, EWTN Global Catholic Radio brings you Super Saints. And now, here are your hosts for Super Saints, Bob and Penny Lord. Hello, family, and welcome. We're Bob and Penny Lord. We want to share with you today a saint who was very instrumental in bringing God to the people of this country, who was very close to our hearts, a true apostle of the Church of California, Blessed Junipero Serra. In this topsy-turvy world where to talk of God is politically incorrect, it is no wonder that the father of lies dares spread lies to kill the memory of a true apostle and demean the work he did. The enemy has always done everything to slander and render useless anyone who reminds us of the reason we were born, to know, to love, and to serve God. History is history, and sometimes history can be offensive, but it does not make history less history. Sacrificing the truth, we take away all that came to pass to form us into the people, the nation we are today. In a time when the name of God cannot be mentioned in schools, a time when children no longer say the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States because it bears God's name, and it would offend the few who do not believe in God, it is important that we set the record straight about a saint who brought God to this nation, which we have forgotten was founded under God. Much maligned and most misunderstood, we dare to bring you blessed Junipero Serra, Apostle of California. Our story begins in Mallorca, a sleepy, breathtakingly beautiful island off the coast of Spain on November the 24th, 1713. A baby's cry rings out, a boy is born. As he would need his heavenly mother to be with him wherever he ventured, his parents brought him up a thousand miles to the shrine of Our Lady of the Good Year to entrust him to Mother Mary and introduce her to him as his mother. The Sarahs were farmers. The whole family, grandparents, parents, children, went off to work in the fields each morning. The backbreaking work commenced when the sun began to peak into the dusk of dawn and ended as the sun mercifully set to let the quiet of night and rest take over. Dinner no sooner over, too tired to even speak, they all dropped off to a much-needed sleep. Miguel's family were strong Catholics whose lives revolved around church. They had remained faithful through centuries of invasions through Saracens and Moors, fighting for and preserving their most treasured possession, the Catholic faith. Now, as with other children, Miguel could not be spared to receive an education. But every moment he was not needed to help with the chores, Miguel could be found listening to the Franciscan friars at the convent a few hundred yards from his home. They were touched by his eagerness and ability to learn. This came to his parents' attention, and they relieved him more and more from his chores. Then, pleased by his progress, his parents sent him off to study with a priest in Palma at 15 years old. Miguel applied to the Franciscans and at first was rejected because of his youth and size. He was barely five foot two. Then in 1730, just short of his 17th birthday, he donned the habit of St. Francis. 
After one year of intense studies, he took his vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience on September the 15th, 1731, and received the name of St. Francis' companion, the jester of God, Friar Junipero Serra. He delved into his studies, his eyes and heart, on becoming a priest and professor. He completed his studies with flying colors, but because he was less than the required age of 24, he could not be ordained to the priesthood. At this time, he adopted a motto from St. Paul, which would become his vanguard. Always go forward, never turn back. After months of grueling preparation, he was accepted unanimously as professor of philosophy. He was regarded highly by everyone, especially two students who would become part of his endeavor in the new world, Francisco Polo and Juan Crespi. Junipero was ordained a priest around 1737. He received a doctorate in theology, became a professor of theology at the Pontifical Imperial Royal and Literary University of Mallorca, and continued in this capacity until he was 35 years old. For the next six years, he delivered impassioned sermons, giving hope and strength to the people of Mallorca, struggling to come out from under the drought and plague that had devastated them and their land. Junipero had dreamed of following in the footsteps of seraphic Father Francis, but when the opportunity came for him to go to evangelize in the New World, he hesitated, but then agreed to make the voyage. Junipero's struggles were between love for family and for God. He wrote to his parents, I shall never get over the loss of not being able to be near you. But the most important thing I have to do is the will of God. It is for the love of God that I leave you, and only with his grace that I have the strength to do so. Rejoice that you have a son who is a priest, though an unworthy one and a sinner, who daily in the holy sacrifice of the Mass cries for you. Let the Lord sustain you, give you your daily bread, patience in your trials, and resignation to his holy will, courage to fight the evil one, and last of all, when it is God's will, a happy and tranquil death in his holy grace. If I succeed in becoming a good religious, my prayers will be more powerful and you will benefit from them. April the 13th, 1749, Junipero, Serra, and Francisco Polo sailed for Mexico his first leg in a lifetime journey. He would never see his parents again. It took close to eight months. The ocean was so rough, the missionaries were so sick that they were sure they would die. All that is but Junipero Serra, who, although he battled fevers and bouts of nausea like the others, with little or no water, barely enough food to feed a baby, Junipero prayed and encouraged everyone to go on. The ship set foot on Mexican soil on the eve of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady. Landing 200 miles from Mexico City, Junipero and the others walked the whole way along the Camino Real, a poor dirt road made unsafe by attacks from warring tribes, bandits, and wild animals. And if these failed, rocks cascading down, killing them. Traveling over mountains, little or no provisions, they slept out in the open, Junipero clutching his crucifix to his chest, 
often awakening the next morning half-frozen. One night they came to the edge of an ominous-looking, highly turbulent river. It was obvious they were lost in the river unsafe to cross. Junipero cried out for help. Suddenly a well-dressed man seemed to appear from out of nowhere. He pointed to a shallow section of the river where they could cross. On the other side, they found the man waiting for them. He gave them shelter for the night. But when they tried to encourage him in conversation, he remained quiet, going about his way serving them. When they rose the following morning, they awakened to the ground covered with ice. They would have frozen to death had they not been helped by the generous stranger. They had traveled quite a distance. They were suffering from exhaustion. They had not eaten in days when a figure on horseback galloped over to them and handed each of them a pomegranate, then rode off, leaving them to conjecture on how much he looked like the man who had given them shelter the days before. Farther down the road, a farmer gave them a place in his barn to spend the night. The next morning, they celebrated Mass, and the farmer gave them a loaf of bread for the journey. Saving the loaf for later, who should they encounter but a beggar? They gave the poor starving man the bread. Nighttime found the two by the roadside, tired and hungry. Again, the rider who had given them the pomegranate rode up, reached into his saddlebag, and pulling out a small, lumpy, unappetizing loaf of bread, cut it in two and handed each of them half. The bread emitted such a foul smell they were reticent to eat it. But their hunger taking over, they devoured it. It was delicious and filling. Now out of sight, Junipero recognized the mysterious stranger, who was not a stranger, but the foster father of Jesus, St. Joseph, who not mysteriously, but miraculously had come to their rescue. Junipero arrived in Mexico City. Along with the other missionaries, he was required to spend a year preparing for evangelizing to the Indians in the wild. They studied the various tongues of the tribes, and then using the implements that were indigenous to the area and the people, they learned how to farm. The year not quite over, Junipero and seven other missionaries were sent to evangelize to the most unbending opponents of the Spanish settlers, the Pame Indians. The Pames waylaid and attacked soldiers relentlessly and resisted all attempts at coexistence. The task of trying to bring God to them would be no small task for the new missionaries. Spanish conquistadors had defeated the Pame Indians in battle, but had not won their hearts, so the victory was short-lived. In 1740, the love and compassion shown by Father Miskia and other Franciscan missionaries so touched them, 7,000 Pames converted and came into the missions. They lived together, Indians and Spaniards, learning from one another, until a disease foreign to the Indians, an epidemic of smallpox, wiped out two-thirds of the Pames living in the missions. Four missionary priests died from the disease, and the rest left thoroughly discouraged. Sarah was told they would find 1,000 converts in the mission. Sarah met few Indians, and those few were starving. He found that those inside the mission were working for the soldiers at the fort rather than there as Christians. Sarah was determined to change all that. When the sun rose, the mission bells sounded, calling everyone to church. Attendance was required of all who lived within the mission walls. 
Each day, either Father Sarah or Father Palu recited the daily prayers and read from the Bible in Latin, and then translated it into the Pame language, teaching the Indians what it meant to those of Jesus' time and to those living in their time. Catechism classes on the faith were given twice a day to all children starting from as young as five years old. As is the teaching of the church, all converts or catechumens were required to attend Mass on Sunday, on Holy Days of Obligation, and at funeral Masses. When the Mass was over, all the parishioners, Spaniards, and Indians alike filed past the priest and kissed his hands. Missionaries visited those who had missed Mass and tried to convince them to return to church and reject their pagan practices. They did not try to evangelize by disparaging the Indians' false gods, but tried to change their hearts by teaching them about the unconditional love the one true God had for all his children, no matter what race, color, or creed, including them and the Spanish settlers. In this way, the Indians began recognizing the difference between their gods and the god of the Christians, and many converted. It worked far better than the senseless tactics used by soldiers, forced to the horror of Sarah and the other missionaries who openly condemned this. The Spanish soldiers outlawed all pagan rituals, but the missionaries knew what they had to do was build a bridge for the natives to walk over. Kachum, whom the Indians revered as the mother of the sun, was the answer. On top of the mountain Sierra Gorda, there was a temple built to Kachum, with a handsomely carved statue of her within, where the Indians would come and ask for favors, do atonement usually by sacrifice, and leave gifts of grain and sacrificed animals on her altar. It reminded Father Sarah of the Shrine of Our Lady of the Good Year in Mallorca, the Indians, too, climbed to the top of a mountain, only not to a Catholic shrine and Our Lady, but to the temple and the mother of the sun. Like the Spaniards, the Indians loved pomp and pageantry. Father Sarah placed a huge cross on top of the mountain and built 14 stations of the cross leading to it, each station with figures recreating the events along the way of the cross, which led to the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was constructed in a way it reminded the Indians of the staircase to the Mother of the Sun, thus creating a link and bond that would hold them together as a family someday. Good Friday, the Indians watched as Father Sarah made the first stations, carrying the cross up to the mountain on his shoulders, reenacting the Lord's horrific way of the cross. At the top, Father nailed the carved wooden statue of Christ to the cross. Later, the Christus was removed from the cross and placed in a wooden coffin. Up to this time, they had heard the words. Now they were witnessing the price the one true God paid. They understood and they wept. Easter Sunday, the figure of Christ was taken from the coffin, was dressed in fine robes, and then was processed around the mission. The scandal of the cross was now the triumph of the cross and the end of all sacrifice. They understood. No more worshipping the mother of the sun. They had learned how the one true God had left his mother to them. Now, each Sunday evening after the sun went down, a beautiful statue of Our Lady was carried throughout the mission on a litter by Indian braves who competed for this honor. 
She was accompanied by lit torches mystically lighting the way. Feast days were celebrated with the same kind of awe and majesty. The pageant beginning after the Indians had heard the life of the saint being honored. It was the ancient concept of the morality plays with which the early church taught. Word spread and began attracting Indians from surrounding tribes and Spaniards as well. Enemies now brothers in the one true God who made them family. Franciscan missionaries began building churches in their missions and the faith grew, and with it the peace that the Spaniards could not bring about through force and bribery. All who met Sarah were amazed at his endless energy. Never too tired to discourage to get up another day and serve, he celebrated daily mass, instructed the catechumens, and continued to educate Indians who had converted to the faith as well as the Spanish settlers. He worked on designing and building the different churches and the missions of the Sierra Gorda. He personally visited the sick, making sure they were well cared for in the missionary infirmary. He tirelessly administered the sacraments, no matter the distance, the weather, or the present danger. But with all that, he never neglected his daily prayers. Last of all, ever faithful to church authority, he kept the Apostolic College of San Fernando in Mexico City, abreast of all that was transpiring in the missions, always ready to obey their command. After having served the Pame Indians at Halpan for nine years, September 1758, he was called to go on to missions farther up north. He looked around nostalgically at what God and man's faith had accomplished. Nine years had passed. When he first arrived, there were only tiny, crudely built adobes, barely protected from the elements by thatched roofs and a few Indians at the foot of an 11,000-foot mountain. Now there was a thriving mission filled with educated, devoted members of the Pame tribe who, accepting the church as their own, lived peacefully side by side with their Spanish neighbors. He would miss them, but never looking back, he was filled with excitement at what lay ahead. Fathers Sarah and Palo left for Mexico City on their next assignment. Only the next assignment was not to be the one they had been assigned to. Differences had developed over who would run the mission, and it was not reopened. Sarah did not return to his beloved Sierra Gorda, but was to remain in Mexico City, serving as choir master and novice master for the next nine years. His fame as an intellectual and astute spiritual director reached the ears of the Spanish gentry, and he was in great demand. Although this would have been an opportune time to ingratiate himself with the finest families of Mexico City who could help him financially in the future, he never visited their homes. If they wished his counsel, they had to come to the church. He went about preaching like John the Baptist before him of the need to repent. His spirituality grew to more fasting, mortification, penance, and sacrifice. He even shared with Palo his desire to revive the feelings he had in his novitiate when he learned of the saints. Now the Jesuits had made enemies in the New World. They had objected to the ill treatment suffered by the Indians at the hands of certain Spanish settlers and soldiers. Therefore, it was with great delight on the morning of June the 25th, 1767, that soldiers encircled all 29 Jesuit missions and churches in Mexico and rousing the surprised Jesuits from their sleep, read the king's order that they be expelled and all their property along with the missions be seized. 
The priests had time to take only their prayer books and the clothes on their back. Jailed like common criminals, they were thrown into a hold of a ship going to Veracruz. The very few who lived through that horrible voyage arrived back in Spain to face charges. Father Sarah, now 54 years old, he is summoned to appear at the Apostolic College in Mexico City to be apprised of a new assignment. He is to be the new president of missions formerly run by the Society of Jesus in Baja, California. This stretch of narrow land surrounded by nothing but water, its air and land made desolate by its unyielding aridity, earned the title, The Last Corner on Earth. When Sarah arrived at his new post, the 40,000 Indians reported by the Jesuits had dwindled to a mere 8,000. Sarah described them as a handsome people. But sadly, the huts were so poor and the conditions so deplorable, 1,000 Indians were dying each year, and the death rate of infants, 100%. It is believed that Indian women were purposely aborting their babies rather than have them starve to death. Disease finished off those Indians who had, did not die of starvation. Father Pelot prophesied if conditions remained as they were, Baja would be left without a single soul. Father Sarah's year, which had begun with so much enthusiasm, ended with disappointment. At first, the missionaries were to have a say in only the spiritual aspects of the missions. But when the newly appointed inspector general saw the impossible conditions, he willingly handed over all responsibility to Father Sarah and the missionaries. No sooner did Sarah begin to work on change than he was summoned to engage in the evangelization, what was called then Alta California. California. Back in 1542, an explorer in the service of the Crown of Spain, while serving with Cortez, had claimed the coast of California from San Diego to Monterey for Spain. Another Spaniard came in 1579 and laid claim to all of California in the name of Spain. But at that same year, Sir Francis Drake claimed San Francisco for England. For at least a hundred years, lacking the resources, Spain did nothing about her claim. Then in 1760, the crown of Spain could feel Russia's hot breath on their neck, ready to strike. The threatening bear from the east began blazing a trail along the northwest coastline of the New World, first colonizing Alaska and then advancing ominously southward with the rapid establishment of settlements extending to Point Reyes. Now, as Point Reyes is just north of San Francisco and Britain was showing a sudden renewed interest in San Francisco, Spain could see two colonizing rivals closing in on her and her possessions to the south, Mexico. Still no better off financially. Spain enlisted the aid of the Franciscan missionaries and Father Sarah was informed barely one year after having arrived in Baja that he was to pioneer the settlement of missions in Alta or Upper California. July the 1st, 1769, he arrived in San Diego, and on July the 2nd, he celebrated the first Mass in what is now known as the famous California Missions. He was 56, and the biggest challenge of his life faced him. All that he had received in education, all the spiritual preparations he made, the austerities he had practiced most of his life would be for this one act, this his last gift to the Lord and his mother. California would be consecrated, every hill Valley, mountain, village, every street would be blessed. I shall not turn back. It took Father Sarah almost 20 years from the time he was first summoned to come to the New World and serve in the missions 
before he got to his first California mission in San Diego. Those 20 years prior to arriving at San Diego were at times a painful prelude, filled with joys and sorrows, readying him for his biggest challenge, setting up missions a day's walk apart up the coast of California. The missionary who worked furtively his last years on earth was tired and more dead than alive. When one of his companions begged him to stop his legs so badly swollen and in pain, he could not celebrate Mass standing. Father Sarah refused, saying, Please, do not speak of that, for I trust that if God would give me the strength to reach San Diego as he has given me the strength to come this far, I shall not turn back. They can bury me wherever they wish, and I shall gladly be left among the pagans if it be the will of God. It had taken him almost three months to reach San Diego from Baja, California. Half dead most of the time, he never turned back. December the 26th, 1770, Father Sarah performed his first baptism in California. In addition to San Diego and San Carlos del Carmel, Father Sarah went on to found missions San Antonio de Padua in July 1771, San Gabriel in September 1771, San Luis Obispo in September 1772, San Francisco in October 1776, San Juan Capistrano in January 1777, and San Juan Buenaventura in March 1782. Our little missionary goes home at last, August 28, 1784, with no more to give, his last ounce of blood shed for the church he so passionately loved and brought to the natives of California. Father Sarah died in the arms of his former student, and dear friend, Father Palu. Pressing his crucifix close to his heart, he turned to his friend and gave him his last will and testament. I promise, if the Lord in his infinite mercy grants me eternal happiness, which I do not deserve because of my sins and faults, that I shall pray for all those at the missions and for the conversion of so many whom I have left unconverted. Our missionary died as he lived, like Jesus before him, thinking and praying for those he was leaving behind. He taught the natives and by his example as well as word led them to become some of the strongest Catholics in the Western Hemisphere. We thank you for being with us. We pray Junipero Serra has touched you as he has touched us. God bless you. We love you. Remember, history is history. Let us live it. Super Saints with Bob and Penny Lord is adapted especially for EWTN Radio from the book series of the same name. If you'd like more information, contact Journeys of Faith, Post Office Box 1240, Fair Oaks, California, 95628-1240. Or you may call toll-free 1-800-633-2484, 1-800-633-2484. And please join us again next week at this time for Super Saints on EWTN, Global Catholic Radio. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, 
Search for Bobby and Penny Lord app and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bobby and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.